Good morning, Wisconsin. It's WTMJ Now. News, opinions, Wisconsin. Everything you need to know in the Badger State and beyond. Come give us your thoughts on the old National Bank talk and text line at 855-616-1620. Old National Bank. Get old. Now here's your host, Sandy Max and Steve Scafidi. That is indeed the show. Sandy Max, Steve Scafidi. I I came back from vacation. Welcome back. Just for this. To welcome Annie. Annie Schwartz on our regular Wednesday. I, I couldn't miss this. Oh, I could not miss this. Stop it some more, both of you. <laughs> Truly, he wasn't here the last two days. It, <laughs> right. took, it took you coming in to have him show up. Listen, I was almost not here this morning. Yes. I think we need to do this important PSA for you know for everybody who's listening. Hmm. Wisconsin Avenue is closed. Yeah. Boys night, and night girls. Oh, for tonight. the night market. For the night market. Except if you're Annie Schwartz and you... That's where you usually park. That's where I park. I have a little princess parking spot. On Wisconsin Avenue, nice. and it was not available to. Is me. that the Annie Schwartz spot? Or it is. That... Yeah, nobody else really can park there. But <laughs> it's yeah, I call that rock star parking. And then I'm I'm running through the Third Street Market Hall because I am the worst person for directions. So I came in a different way, mm. and I'm standing in front of the sushi thing, going like, I don't remember this. I don't remember this because yeah, you came I... in a different way. You're you're discombobulated. I can't do that. Mm-hmm. And what's funny is you're just steps away, which is which is even more infuriating. It's like I know it's here somewhere. I did. I know I... it's here somewhere. So had you just made a a left turn and walked twenty paces, ta da! Yes, you would be here at the that. studios. But you're here now. Yes, I'm here now. I'm so excited to be here. I'm I'm sorry I missed uh, last week, but I know that we've got. Uh, Wait, we'll make up for it today, right? Great guest. Yeah. Eric Drager, cybersecurity expert. As we get back into school. Yes. I, I'll tell you, I one of the things that I've been happy to do since we've been talking on Wednesdays has been to revisit a lot of the amazing people that I worked with when I was at MPD who have incredible skills uh, that a lot of people, I think, don't appreciate exist at the uh, at the police department um, but they eventually, you know, eventually they retire and then they go to the private sector and they make a, you know, a ton of money and don't have to, you know, talk to people who got shot last night. Um, but Eric is amazing. He worked at the Fusion Center, uh, which is the place where all the intelligence from southeastern Wisconsin comes together and th- they can do amazing things in there. Uh, Fusion Center's sp- kind of uh, sparked up after 9-11 mm-hmm. because there was the criticism, of course, that agencies aren't talking to each other. So some smart person said, uh, let's put everybody in a room and let's give them all access. So you have public safety. You have not just police, but you have fire. You have the three-letter windbreaker you know, agencies. You've got all of these people together. You've got private sector people, like from We Energies. Um, you've got people in the fusion center who get together and say, all right, we got to work this specific problem. They are the ones that ferret out child pornographers. They are the ones that, you know, get your phone when you, uh, when you get arrested and they say, let's see what clues are, are on your, uh, on your telephone. Eric Drager has changed the way that I text because of everything he has told me about what's available. So well, let's do this. We'll take a break mm-hmm. and Eric Trigger will join us. He's on the he's on the line, the uh, Tri-County Contracting Hotline 
and a, an important discussion, especially with school getting back in session. Some schools, like early MPS, they're already in school. Um, we'll talk to them about cybersecurity, safety for your kids, and let's be honest, the role of parents in all of this, because sometimes they're the ones that have to look over their kids' shoulder and see what they're doing on their phones, smartphones, and the like. So we'll have that conversation with Eric Drager, Steve Sandy, Annie Schwartz on this Wednesday right here on WTMJ. Must mean it's Wednesday. That uh, walk up music, walk up music. Annie Schwartz, law enforcement com- communications experts. I'm back to work after a couple days off. My my mother in law Diane's 85th birthday. Oh, are you the best ever, or what? Yes. 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 And <laughs> well, you. I say or what? So we we disagree on that. It was oh. kind of rhetorical. <laughs> Rhetorical. You were setting up the good comedy bid. All right. So uh, our guest this hour on the Tri-County Contracting Hotline, Eric Drager, cybersecurity expert. Thought it was important to bring him on today, and thanks to Andy for getting the hookup there. Uh, with the, the kids going back to school, there's so much happening online, so many threats to children, so many threats to adults, for that matter. Uh, welcome to the show, Eric. Thanks a lot, Steve. Appreciate it. Tell us and, about your... Uh, thank t- you... Thank you for the kind words uh, on the opening there, Annie. Yeah. I, I, I think you should be in public relations, yeah. something like that. Right? Right. Oh, wow, what a weird idea. <laughs> Eric, tell us about your background so people know where you're coming from. Sure. I was in, uh, I was in law enforcement in Milwaukee for uh, almost 20 years, and uh, recently, but in the last year or so, switched over to the uh, cybersecurity world where um, I do digital forensics for uh, companies that get um, attacked by ransomware and, and that sort of thing. I'm also the parent of, uh, of three kids. One's uh, a junior in college. One's uh, doing a freshman year abroad uh, for uh, university, and then uh, my youngest uh, is just starting high school. So, so as, a, as a parent and somebody with that kind of background, l- let's just talk about the basics here. We have kids going back to school, obviously kids nowadays tethered to their smartphones. We all know the risks and the opportunities for people to take advantage of kids. Let's just talk about some basic do's and don'ts when it comes to your child of almost any age and what they and what parents should be on the lookout for. Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, I think the first debate um, that that a lot of parents have is when do we allow them to have those apps? And when I refer to those apps, I'm referring to the things like social media for Instagram, TikTok, um, Snapchat, uh, things like that. Because um, there's so much information out there about is it bad? At what point is it bad for their brains? Is it is it ever good? Um, and those are hard questions to answer. So um, that's, I think, probably the biggest question I get oftentimes with uh, parenting and tech. What else should be? What else should we be looking for? There's a lot of things. I, I tweeted out some tips this morning on, on Twitter, just looking at some of the things that we should be paying attention to. I mean, so these are for not just kids, for adults as well. And a couple of ones that I saw: not sharing personal information, don't respond to text, emails, message, direct messages from people you don't know. Sharing photos, you talk about kids and the risks. So many kids, what, what, what was the thing I just saw? One in three kids are sharing explicit photos yeah. online. I think Eric didn't, I think when you, when you and I were, were chatting this morning, you, you mentioned a term that I, that I really like, uh, digital parenting. And digital parenting is a, is a real thing now that it's back to school time, right? 
Absolutely. Absolutely. If um, we're, we're part of our, our kids world in, in real life. And I feel like we really need to be part of their world in their digital life as well. Um, with my kids, we always uh, throughout kind of their development, I had the policy of what I refer to as overt surveillance, meaning <laughs> I tell them I'm not going to take their phones without their knowledge. I'm going to do that right in front of them <laughs> at different periods of time, randomly. Um, and really, that's just as a precaution, meaning it gives them the excuse with their friends to be able to say, hey, my parents like will grab my phone at any moment. So don't text that thing that you might have just texted to a bunch of other people to me because I don't want to get busted for that, even though I'm just the person receiving that. And so having that policy with them, I, I feel helps kind of um, uh, give them the excuse uh, that they can blame me for, you know, the reason why they don't want to get that stuff. That's a great tip, Eric. And it kind of reminds me of going way back when I was just having phone calls with my high school friends and like you couldn't say anything that you didn't want your parents to hear. You know, like there, were, there was just a certain guy that's like, okay, my, my mom's in the other room. I can't tell you if I like that boy or not. You know, so I think that's a great way to be not too helicopter and not too authoritative, but just go, hey, random phone check. Who, who you texted? Right. And when you talk about. Absolutely. Yeah. When you talk about photos online, I think a lot of us think about posting photos publicly, but I get the impression that the real danger is this direct messaging that makes people vulnerable, especially kids. Yeah, it um, because these apps have the ability to post both public and private, we all kind of get that impression that when we send the picture as a direct message and not posted publicly, that it is actually private. However, you don't know who's got access to the phone on the other end. I mean, does this person hand their phone to their friends to go look through some pictures or whatnot, and could they just grab those other pictures and send them to them. Um, one of the things that we dealt with, uh, and, and I know is still an issue in the uh, police department, especially around kids, is where one kid may get what's referred to as sextortion, where um, somebody's effectively blackmailing them to get uh, naked pictures sent to them. But what they then require the kid to do is get more of those pictures from their friends and then send them on in order to avoid those pictures being posted. So it's an extremely insidious kind of crime, but helping kids realize that, hey, maybe if the other person is asking for them, maybe it's not just for them. And maybe they're being influenced by somebody else or kind of under duress in that respect. So that's one of the conversations that that you might want to have with your kids just kind of around that topic. Just because it might seem like a good idea at the time, and we know, of course, it's not, um, doesn't mean you should you should consider all of those possibilities. Eric, you're talking about your relationship with your own kids, and you were doing the overt surveillance, and I love that term as well, as long as the digital, as well as the digital parenting, kind of the way that we should be approaching these problems. So you're a cybersecurity expert. Your kids know what you do. I'm assuming. How do they react when you do these things? Because that's yeah, real they, life. Um, Absolutely. And and I think um, I have the advantage that this is one of those kind of policies I, I started from the beginning. And because when they first got their devices, this was just normalized. 
then they didn't ever really had a problem with it. I, I asked them kind of along the way at different points, is this weird, you know, compared to your friends and whatnot? And they said, yeah, it's a little different, but it's, you know, it, it's not terribly intrusive. Um, so I think, I, I think the earlier you can start that, and also it's not, you know, it, this isn't like a, a uh, confrontative sort of thing when I do it. It's more done in a, in a laughy, jokey sort of way. Um, I think that really helps to, to normalize the behavior and have them realize, look, I'm not doing this as a punishment. I'm just doing this to make sure it doesn't become a bigger issue. I think when you can approach it from that perspective, uh, the kids pick up on that and they actually um, – I think they understand what I'm trying to do with that. Looking at the big picture, do you think your example is an outlier or do you think parents are starting to understand, given the risk that they're facing as well with you know data theft and all of that, are, are pe- people starting to get the message? Yeah, absolutely. I think um, especially because, you know, parents uh, today, oftentimes younger parents today grew up with all this digital technology and and may have even been parented digitally themselves. And so I think the younger generation of parents now, I think, has a better handle on that with their own kids, um, which is good. Uh, not to say that the rest of us uh, uh, Gen Xers or uh, you know and, and so forth can't uh, can't learn those abilities too, but um, I really think uh, uh, they're doing well there. One area I do see an issue with is just in general screen time and handling that. And we um, in our house we kind of came up with a couple uh, new strategies to deal with with that a little bit. Why don't you hang on that thought? We'll take a break here. We're joined by Eric Drager, cybersecurity expert. We're talking about getting back to school. Kind of some safety tips on what parents should be thinking about. I love the the term that he used, overt surveillance. Just look at their phones. I mean, you paid for them. They're minors. They're in your household. You're essentially trying to protect them, their identity, and their lives. And I'm going to get to a more serious topic related to that um, after the break. Is kids meeting other people they've never met before because of conversations they're having online on their smartphones, often late at night. We'll get to all of that and more with our guest Eric Drager right here on WTMJ. Stephen Sandy on this Wednesday. Think about that for a second because it's my first day at work this week. Wednesday edition. It's not your hump day. It's your first day yes, of the week. Yes. Welcome uh, back. It's good to be back. We're joined, of course, by Andy Schwartz, who joins us usually on every Wednesday talking about law enforcement issues. And today we're talking about cybersecurity with Eric Drager, a cybersecurity expert. Very um, important as we get in back to school time and how digital parenting, a new phrase in the 21st century, is important to help keep your kids safe. Yes, this is a big, big topic of discussion amongst the parents that I know. And, uh, Eric, one of the big risks, fears of parents is their child meets someone online, connects with them in some weird way, and the Internet's a weird place. People that have pictures that are fake, they have identities that are fake, they have conversations that are essentially fake, trying to lure children. So what's what's a suggestion or some advice for parents who have young girls, young boys, who may be starting to have those kinds of conversations with their peers, their friends, and maybe lured into one of these sometimes dangerous situations. Definitely, definitely. This, this is an issue. Um, it's uh, when, when kids generally go to end up meeting somebody and then ultimately getting abducted, it's usually not a randomized occurrence, meaning just what you were saying there, Steve, is there's a good chance they were talking with that person online or via an app prior to that that meeting now it doesn't always come out that way right away after the fact you know oftentimes it's oh i was just at the mall and 
out of nowhere. Um, but then later on, we find out there's more um, to the story there. It's still, don't get me wrong, just as tragic. It's just that gives us an avenue for prevention. And that's very helpful. But the key there is knowing what your children are doing online. And to do that, um, I think there's some some apps that are very helpful with that, particularly um, at the moment. I think Apple operating system does a better job of that than the, the Android phones, only because you can monitor not only how much screen time your children are having, but more importantly, exactly what times they're having that activity. Um, so you can see if there's late night conversations going on via Snapchat after the doors are closed, or you can see if there's early morning texts going out on an app you're not familiar with yet. Um, you can also limit apps to certain amounts of time. And um, that's one strategy we've used to, to just reduce screen time, but it, it's had so many other benefits as well. But with monitoring the screen time, it's really difficult for a kid to start having those conversations without, without you knowing about it. Um, and so that's one of those, that's one of those parts of the overt surveillance. Um, they know exactly what I can see with uh, the screen time app that's built into the Apple operating system. No additional costs or anything like that are needed. Um, and they can see exactly what I can see about their activity. Um, it doesn't give me down to the level of the content of the text messages, just, you know, in the in the screen time app. But it does show me how many notifications, for example, um, how what's the first pickup of the day? You know, are they waking up in the middle of the night to answer text messages? You know, that was an, that was an issue once we saw it happening and we're able to correct it right away because mm. that's the sort of thing that mm. interrupts sleep and can, you know, kind of ruin the next day as well. So so those are some of the things that having that access to this, the, the granular level of that activity that really helps, I think, it, it's helped me tremendously, at least in, in understanding what they're doing online. And, you know, Eric, as, as you and I have been talking the, the last couple of years, uh, I've started working um, more in the um, counterterrorism sector and not trying to, to scare people, or, you know, uh, thinking about their, their child online, you know, hooking up with strangers. But there is a real concern about kids, young kids, being radicalized online, isn't there? Absolutely. Yeah, um, that's uh, even since the days of, uh, what was it, uh, uh, ISIS, uh, where they were putting out their material um, in terms of how to radicalize people via, you know, through online means, kids were always a good target for that, um, only because they're very impressionable, obviously. Um and they spend a lot of time online and it's it's not too difficult to radicalize somebody if you can control how much time you spend in front of their eyeballs um you know and advertisers and everything else are are, are trying to do that social media forces us you know or, or tries to convince us to stay online even more and so i think the online avenue for radicalization is far worse than the in-person one, at least as far as kids. Eric, this is a specific question that, that someone just texted me. Should should kids, and you can take this up to whatever age you think you, you is appropriate, take their, their phones to bed with them? You know, yeah, it's an interesting question. Um, my my kids have, have liked to use their phones for an alarm. Um, before I had the screen time, the ability to see their screen time and their activity, I was a little bit more uncomfortable with that. Since having that, 
I've grown much more comfortable with that. That being said, I think an alarm clock that's, you know, analog or otherwise a separate device probably solves that problem as far as the alarm clock goes. Um, but, uh, yes, I, I can understand where the concern comes from because it's difficult to monitor those devices if you don't have some sort of visibility into that screen time. We're talking with cybersecurity expert Eric Drager. And, Eric, what age do you get a phone for your child? I think society kind of dictates that, but at what age is it appropriate? Yeah, um, it's, it's a good question because there's a trade off here in terms of being a parent. It, it gives you a, a great degree of peace of mind being able to, to look at your phone and being able to see, oh, my, my kid's at school right now. My kid's uh, walking home at this moment, and I can see that right on my device. Um, they're on the bus. Uh, I, I, I like that. So having that ability is really good. I, I think we started in sometime in middle school. Um, for all three kids is when um, they first got those those devices. However, that didn't mean that we allowed them access to all different apps. As a matter of fact, social media, we deliberately, um, we, we required them to earn that as a privilege before we allowed them to just download it and put it on there. Um, and then, even then, we only let them have one of the four or five now, it was their choice which one, but that allowed them to communicate with their peers and not have that, you know, miss out on events or not be invited to things just because they didn't have a method of communication. But also, it, it means that they don't have to be checking four or five different apps and spending all that extra time on their device um, during the day. And I, I think that was an effective um, tool to kind of limit that. A specific question from the old National Bank talking text line, Mike from Heartland. Uh, are Snapchat pictures and information deleted right away, or do they stay around like the other things on the World Wide Web? <laughs> well, um, they're, they're not actually deleted right away um, when you delete that from the app. Um, you can even kind of determine that you can replay some messages, uh, you know, even after you've, you've watched them once and they're supposedly deleted, right? But forensically... Yeah, they're still there. We we recovered a lot of different uh, Snapchat messages over over the years and doing uh, digital forensics on on devices, uh, pictures and messages that people thought were were long gone. No, in fact, they're still there in the background. Eric there are Drager. Some other apps. Oh, go ahead. Sorry Eric, you taught me nothing is ever deleted. There's no such thing as the delete button. You scared me for life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we uh, um, yeah that that ability to undelete um, content uh, is is kind of a scary thing when you actually see it in action. Um, that being said, mobile devices are getting better at protecting privacy in that respect. So it's much more difficult today than it was even a few years ago. That doesn't mean that they're not recoverable at all. Um, it just means that uh, you know the longer after the longer the period of time after you delete them the less likely it is that they can be recovered that way. Eric, we know what the, what the big platforms are, obviously Facebook, Twitter, TikTok, Instagram. Is there one of these platforms that does a better job of monitoring some of this activity than the others, or are they kind of all the same? Boy, I kind of I lumped them all together. Um, with, actually, I take that back. Uh, TikTok, we kind of put the, the, 
the hammer down at our house and said, no, we're not going to do this. And there's, there's a good reason why there's a lot of, uh, news in the, uh, there's news out there about, um, TikTok is actually, uh, more or less thinly veiled spyware that also has a nice function where you can share videos on it. Um, but there's a whole lot built into the background of TikTok that doesn't really need to be there. And we're all in the technical community kind of wondering why is it there in the first place? Um, and so that's kind of, that's part of the reason why you're hearing like in government buildings and on military bases, TikTok is being removed from, from work related devices or any devices allowed on those networks only because it allows somebody with the right know-how or the right access to do a lot more than send and receive videos. So we kind of put that one out there and, and, um, and that's good because, well, frankly, the kids would be on TikTok quite a bit if not for, um, uh, if, if not for that. Um, there's, there's a lot of videos out there and, and, uh, now Instagram, um, there's an issue, the, the, the issues around, you know, especially girls and body image, um, seeing all the pictures of their friends, having that fear of missing out. I'm really not a huge fan of that one, which kind of leads us back to Snapchat. And everybody kind of freaks out when they hear, oh, the messages disappear. But then again, every conversation I ever had in high school and middle school also disappeared, right? <laughs> we all had that advantage. Yes, we did. Hey, uh, we didn't er- have this... Oh, go ahead. That's all right, Eric. You were, you were talking about uh, uh, teens being able to self-limit. What what did you mean by that when you talked about yeah. um, limiting themselves? This was kind of a this was kind of a fun um, uh, win for for this year. So my my youngest uh, Lila she wanted Snapchat, and um, so I said, okay, here's here's what we're going to do. I'm going to let you have Snapchat, and we're going to limit it to 30 minutes a day. Now it's a texting app, so now every time she gets a notification, she doesn't open it up right away because that's going to start the timer. So she'll wait until she gets a message that she's expecting or knows she wants and then see all of those together. It turns out that limit actually helped her with time management as well as limiting the screen time. But then I said, okay, she wants more than 30 minutes, she said. I said, okay, here's what we do. I can see how much time you spend in the app on Apple's screen time. So if you want to get more time, than the 30 minutes, limit yourself for a week straight, seven days straight, where you use less than half of that time voluntarily. And then we'll add 10 more minutes to the time. And anytime you want to add more time, once again, limit it to less than 50% on your own. And then you can, you you will have shown me that you can, um, uh, have the self-control to do that with an app. So I get that win as, as, Hey, she's showing self-restraint there and she gets the benefit of having more time. So it's really kind of a win-win in that respect. Eric Drager, cybersecurity expert and good dad, because some of the advice is amazing. And how to raise Amish children. Oh, no, that's what I would do. Hey, real, real quick, Eric, because we got, we got to get to break. We got to let you go, but this is from a teacher, Connie from Manitowoc. Um, she wants you to explain burner phones to the audience. Kids get them from friends, use them on Wi-Fi, uh, I guess, to try to avoid some of the things we're talking about. Is that a big problem? 
It can be. Um, so having uh, a burner phone is effectively just a phone without, uh, in this case, uh, the way she's using that, it's just a phone without a SIM card in it. So m- almost all of the apps will work just based on if it's connected via Wi-Fi. It doesn't really need a SIM card to be in there. The only thing you need the SIM card for is, you know, if you're walking around out there and you need to get a internet connection or make a phone call. But as long as you've got access to Wi-Fi, you can do everything you can do on your your regular phone. That would be um, outside of what could be monitored on uh, something like a, a screen time or a, a monitoring app. So that is something to watch for. Um, there's anyone can Google the, the the name of their Wi-Fi router, and it will tell you how to find out what devices are connected to this mm. at any given time. And if you start to see new things that you're not expecting, it's probably worth investigating there. That's a good tip. I, I was not aware of that. One more time for people who may not have heard what you just said. You can Google. Yeah. yeah uh, so if you have, for example, like a, a, a Netgear wireless router, um, just Google Netgear and then how do I determine how many devices are connected and you'll have screenshots walking you through the steps Mm. to get there. So all you really need is the brand name of the device itself. You might need the username and password, which is usually on a sticker on the back of a thing. Right. Um, Or if it's an older one, you can go with the sadly unsecure admin for the username and password for the password. And sadly that works in a shockingly high number of cases. (laughs) That's unfortunate. (laughs) Eric yeah, Drager. The industry is changing too. You know, we're, we're even the industry is getting more uh, uh, cybersecurity conscious, so they're they're doing things a little different these Eric, days. Eric, I want to thank you for taking the time to talk to us. Uh, Eric Drager, cybersecurity expert, great dad, and some great tips how to keep your kids safe as they go back to school, and frankly, even in the summertime, which is probably the time they're even on their phones even more than the school year. So, thanks for taking the time, Eric. No worries. Thank you, guys. Anytime. Thanks, Eric. Kids of all over Wisconsin hate you. Yeah. <laughs> annie with the harsh always thanks eric um i mean some great tips there my my goodness wow i that last piece that he talked about is is in you know this is be a great reason for people to come back and and grab the grab the the podcast of this of this segment with all of those great tips that he had right yeah and it'll be up on wtmj.com in in a short amount of time the the thing i love though i i wasn't aware i know about burner phones because Criminals use them. I wasn't aware that's a thing with kids in schools that are trying to get away from some of the things that, that Eric was talking about in this last uh, 40 minutes. That's that's some good stuff there. Uh, if you have a question, we'll, we'll do our best to answer them. 855-616-1620, the old National Bank. Talking text line. Some other things you want to discuss with our law enforcement communi- communications expert. Yeah, I can say communications. Uh, on this Wednesday right here on WTMJ. Wednesdays with Annie Schwartz. Annie's in studio this morning after a, a nice run at the State Fair. Uh, Sandy and I had a blast out there. Thanks to all the folks who came up and said yes. it's absolutely amazing. Took a ton of pictures. Had a couple of ladies uh, take me up on my free drink offer, and they just texted me a picture that we took out there. So uh, thanks for doing that. I think it was Bridget and Diane, if I remember your names correctly. I apologize if I don't, because there's a lot of people. Um, one of the things that's going to happen in the near and long-term future in this city is increased security. We have the Republican, the first Republican debate happening next Wednesday nights, right? Mm-hmm. Wednesday, yeah, twenty uh, third. Um, we're going to see a lot of security presence, and one of the things that is part of that is police, law enforcement, and and a kind of an orchestrated movement, Annie, 
of really important people, which is, you know, you can make your own determination whether you think candidates for president are important people or not, but they will get security, they will be escorted around, and that's going to be even a bigger presence, of course, when the Republican National Convention comes next summer. So that reality is something that I don't think a lot of people know how this all works. Mm-hmm. These these people that are, and, and I'm going to speak specifically about our motor officers, because that is the, the piece that I certainly, I know a lot about, and I know a lot about it through uh, through Mark, who works with a lot of the motor officers on, on their events through the... Uh, Mark you know, McLean. Mark McLean, yes. I, I don't say the last name in case, you know, <laughs> you never know. What were you saying about me on the air this morning? Well, now he knows. All good now things. Uh, but he is the, you know, he's the one that has been telling me a lot about the training that the motorcycle officers go through when they are preparing for these dignitary visits and not just dignitary visits. You know, we live in the, in the third ward. It, I see these giant buses coming when they're, when there are concerts, mm-hmm. right? And what do they always have? They have a motorcycle escort with them to help them navigate through the streets. These are our officers that are highly, highly trained. Uh, in fact, just last weekend, uh, Badger Motor officers had a, um, uh, had a, a, a competition, but it's not all in fun. It's a competition and, Got to say that uh, Milwaukee Police uh, Sergeant Corey Stray, uh, he gets uh, he gets a little uh, a little shout out for taking first place nice. in the overall individual, uh, uh, you know, uh, exercises. But here's the thing, you know, what they do in these exercises is they simulate quick car stops. What happens if you have to stop your motorcycle quickly because the car in front of you stops quickly? Uh, what do you do if, uh, if you have to drive, uh, very, very slow? A lot of people who don't know, I mean, I've been a motorcycle rider for years. Slow is harder than fast. Especially you're talking about a big heavy bike. And mm-hmm. you're talking about balance. And you're also talking about that added piece where you are a law enforcement officer and you've got to, you know, keep your, your head on a, a swivel to see what's, uh, to see what's going on. Uh, you know, you've heard in the news about a couple of, of crashes recently involving motorcycle officers those officers would have been deceased if they were not as skilled as they are to do the kind of evasion that they need to do so what we're what we're going to look at i think for the next you know the next week is you're going to see a lot of these motor officers out there you're going to see motor officers often you can see them they don't even look like they're out training but they are you'll see them uh riding uh riding uh, two by two you'll see a long line of them riding it is a it, it's an amazing balancing uh uh effort for these uh for these guys when they go out and they uh and they work they're also look they're also you know doing these traffic details which i got to tell you looks pretty dangerous to me i officers have been have been hit while they're standing there and they're they're doing the traffic pieces now you're not just out there doing the traffic piece you're also protecting possible presidential candidates you're protecting uh you know you're protecting the president yesterday great example mm-hmm. president biden's in town what do you think you saw as part of his as part of his motorcade you see the milwaukee police and all motor officers i, I don't want to just single out the milwaukee police department but you know we have motor officers with departments all over the state of wisconsin i just put a ribbon on that make sure this is good for motorcycles any time of the year but when you have these 
kind of motorcades happening. Give them plenty of space. You don't need to crowd in. I know you want to take pictures on your smartphone, which is a bad idea when you're driving anyway. Give the officers and the motorcade the, the space they need to kind of move around and not get in their way. That's a big thing, and I've heard this from a lot of law enforcement folks. People just want to get into the situation. They don't need you to be involved. They, they want you to stay to the sides. Get to the side of the road if you can. Absolutely. And, you know, this is all about training. These are probably some of the best trained uh, people in the in the police department, oh yeah, now my phone's going to light up. <laughs> uh, but they are probably some of the best uh, the best trained because their skills are perishable. If they don't if they don't keep that's muscle memory when you're on a motorcycle. She is so. she is Annie Schwartz, Steve and Sandy on WTMJ. Now we'll take one more break and then we'll wrap up with Annie. Thanks for tuning in. If you have any questions or comments on the show, 855-616-1620. That is the old National Bank talk and text line. Always happy to read those. We had a listener from Finland, which is very cool. So thanks to that individual for tuning in all the way from Finland. That might be our first Finland listener. I, I am that. feeling a WTMJ now trip to Finland. <laughs> yeah, right. Maybe That's he'll put Rose. us up. Or Rose, are you there? Up. Be yeah. fun. <laughs> I, I'm all in if that's the case. Stephen Sandy on this Wednesday, Annie Schwartz. I think about 30 seconds, Annie. So thanks for uh, Eric Drager. Uh, that's a great hookup and it's some great, great uh, wisdom to be shared with the parents out there who are now facing that reality with their kids on the, on their smartphones. And you know what, Steve that, and Sandy, this is, a, this is absolutely proof that in law enforcement in the state of Wisconsin, we have experts in law enforcement to rival any private sector business you you can you can put in front of me. So, and I know a lot of folks listen during the, during this hour, our, our weekly law enforcement hour with Annie Schwartz. Annie, thank you. After the break, one week for the debates. Which candidates of all these Republicans? I think there's twelve, but I think only about eight or nine will be at the actual debates. Eight have been yeah. have been qualified so yes. far. Which one do you want to see emerge? Eight five five six one six one six twenty. 